0: Thank you Dan and choir and bell choir for leading us in beautiful music today. Pray for our students. This morning early we had a parking lot full of Greyhound type tour buses and 200 plus students, a uh, youth going to camp in Missouri, so pray for their safety and for them to hear the message of Christ. Turn to Genesis verse chapter 45 and we'll be looking at that passage as well as uh, the gospel of John chapter 20. In just a moment, plastic surgeons see a lot of scars. We go to these human repairmen in hopes that they can take away our scars or at least cover them up or lessen their severity. Plastic surgeons do see a lot of scars, but so do I. In years of pastoring, before that being a a hospital chaplain, No telling how many hospital visits I've made and it usually starts about the procedure. But what I've discovered is that people have a driving desire to show you their scars. It'll usually start like this, Pastor, they had to make a bigger incision than they thought. And next thing I know, up goes the gown and I'm looking at staples and stitches and scars, the whole nine yards. We want people To see our scars. We want to place on display our scars, not because they are a beautiful thing to behold, but rather because our scars communicate to us what we've been through. If you really want to know how I feel, you need to see my pain. You need to see my hurt, my sorrow, my suffering. It really starts when we're small. We get a a boo-boo and we want a Band-Aid and we go around and, and we show it, don't we, when we're three? That really never, ever stops. If you want to know my heart, if you want to connect to me, Pastor, I need you to see the scars that I bear. I don't blame you for showing your scars. It helps me. It helps people understand the tragedies, the suffering, and the hardships in your family's story. Oh, I see a lot of scars on hospital visits, but I see them in my office as well. Not fleshy scars, but scars of the heart and scars of the head. Pastor, if you want to help me, you need to know I was sexually abused As a child, you need to know that my parents played the game of favoritism with one of my siblings. Pastor, you need to know that I've been physically abused by my husband. Pastor, you need to know that my father verbally abused me and never, ever gave me his blessing. Scars from disease and divorce and disappointments and death. Scars from sins long hidden that now begin to resurface in our lives. Scars caused by broken hearts. She left me. He walked out on me. Scars by feeling like we never really quite fit in. There's no end to the possible scars that we display, is there? Covering up scars with a double coat of makeup really doesn't do any good, does it? I almost see the Joseph saga as like a a Jerry Springer show. Not that I've watched a lot of Jerry Springer, you understand, but it kind of goes that way. Brothers who sell their sibling into slavery. There we have on the stage that group of kind of rough and tough brothers, the sons of Jacob, and they begin telling their story. Yeah, we sold our smart aleck brother, Joseph, to a band of Ishmaelites. No doubt they'd bluster out what they'd done. I hated him. Daddy loved him best. Oh, he thought he was the king of us. We showed him, we threw him in a pit, and we were gonna kill him until Reuben said we couldn't. Then the Ishmaelites came along and we sold him for 20 pieces of silver. A pretty good return, wouldn't you say? They begin to talk and tell their story about how much they hate Joseph and how Jacob played favorites. And all of a sudden, Jerry Springer brings on the brother they think is probably by now dead as the slaves didn't have long lives somewhere in Egypt. And out walks Joseph. Jerry Springer gets the big bodyguards ready to stop Joseph from rushing on his brothers. He probably could take them all on by now. He was younger, mad, been done wrong, and had, had the motive of revenge. But to Springer's disappointment, Joseph walks out and says, you sold me into slavery. What you did for evil, God used for good. The famine's in the land, and God had me in slavery to go to Egypt now I'm the Lord of the Pharaoh, that I could save you and save God's people. The show would be ruined by what was supposed to be a tale of revenge becomes a sweet story of reunion. But what about the scars on Joseph? All the scars of hatred and jealousy and favoritism and abuse and violence beaten and thrown in the pit? Oh, you can be sure, Joseph had the scars. Perhaps no one knows more about scars than Leanna gets. She went to the hospital for the birth of a baby, a C-section, which of course would leave a scar. But when the bandage was removed, she discovered that the surgeon carved his initials on her stomach. A-Z. She was enraged. How dare he do something so ludicrous as that? What was the solution to Leanna Ged's scars? Well, there was a tummy tuck, got rid of the C-section scar and the initials, and all was better, and I'm happy to say the surgeon is now in the slammer for doing something so ludicrous. But we can't always hide our scars, can we? Sometimes it's not a tummy tuck to do it. Sometimes it's a burn victim. There's a a large portion of skin and all the dead skin has to be removed and a new healthy flesh with fat cells and blood vessels all attached and covered, covered with a biodegradable bandage making a scaffolding of healing. But no matter how good our surgeons have become or how advanced our bandages, there are injuries and scars that never go away. Over five million mortal wounds happen a year. That doesn't count the wounds that are psychological or emotional. Think of the deep scars between Joseph and his brothers. How do you heal all those wounds? The story begins when the daddy Jacob begins playing favorites with Joseph. His posture says, look at me, and if you can't tell by his posture, look at the colors in that coat. The brothers were dressed in drab and Joseph was dressed in fad. There was a a big difference. They could see it. Way he walked and if it wasn't enough about that coat then there were those awful dreams yeah he, he dreamed that he and his brothers were out in the field and all of a sudden his sheaf began to stand straight up and the brothers well their bundles began to bow down to him or worse yet he he had a dream that the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to him he even his father Jacob got mad on this one oh you think I'm going to, your mother, your brothers are going to bow down and worship you. Oh, it started there. Nick continued as the story gets worse. Jacob sends Joseph to check on his older brothers who are out pasturing the sheep. They see him over the horizon, that little cocky walk, that colorful coat. And one says to another, well, let's see, let's see how proud he is in a moment. They began to talk amongst themselves and they decided that they were going to kill him. And, and finally, Judah, Reuben, they get together. You can't do that. So they take his coat and they sop it in the, the blood of, of an animal and they take it back to his father and they say, as if they don't know the answer, Is this the coat of your son? Now the bright colors muted by the dark blood. It is. I will go to my grave in grief for my boy. The Ishmaelites come along and they had sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Now, now Joseph was good looking. He was straight off the cover of Egypt's GQ. He looked good. He was sold into Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife was Well, she just wondered, was she too old or she still had what it would take to attract a man like Joseph? In fact, he began to rise in Potiphar's household till he was in charge of everything that Potiphar owned. There was Potiphar's wife every day, Joseph. He tried to ignore her, Joseph. One day she grabs, he flees, she screams, a cloak comes off. And now, Joseph has lost his second coat. First time to the pit, and now, the cry of rape, he goes to the prison. You remember the story how Joseph becomes so good at interpreting dreams in prison, that when Pharaoh has a dream that none of his wise men or his sages or magicians can interpret, that. Well, I remember there there was a guy in prison. He could always tell us what the dreams meant. Well, there were two dreams. There were seven fat cows and seven gaunt cows and seven ears of grain that were plump and seven that were scorched by the sun. And no one can say what these mean. And Joseph said, Pharaoh, you had two dreams because it's going to happen quickly. And here's what it means. What it means is this. The seven fat cows represent seven years when there will be abundance of grain. The seven gaunt cows, seven years of famine. The same thing with the ears of grain. So during these seven years of overabundance, you set aside so much grain, 20% every year, so when the famine comes, you'll be the only country in the world with food. You need to find a wise man to take care of that for you, Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I found my man. Joseph, you're the guy. Somebody get him a ring. You will be the vice of Egypt. Well, the famine comes just like Joseph interpreted the dreams. The sons of Jacob have no food. They make their way down to Egypt because God has prepared through Joseph for there to be a, a way of survival. There in chapter 45, Joseph sees his brothers. They do not know who he is and finally reveals himself to them. He loved his father so much. Is my father still alive? They can't even answer. They are dumbfounded. The kid brother they sold into slavery is now Lord of the Pharaoh in charge of giving out the only food left in the known world. Now don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. I see that this was the plan of God. In chapter 50, he says it this way You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. They embrace, they kiss. Joseph cries so loudly that the household of Pharaoh is disturbed. But the scars are still there, aren't they? There's an old medical axiom, once scarred, always scarred. It's especially true with scars of the heart, scars of the head, scars of the emotions. But Joseph realizes that both his pit and his prison experiences have occurred, that God could use the hardships, the scars in his life to help those around him. God uses, doesn't cause, but God uses the evil in our lives, our scars, in such a way for the glory of His kingdom. Turn over to John chapter 20. Let me tell the story to you. I won't read it around verse 25. The disciples are gathered in the upper room, and Jesus just mysteriously appears in their presence. Thomas, the one called Didymus, is not present. And when he comes back, the disciples say to him, Thomas, you missed it, man. While you were gone, the crucified Jesus showed up. I mean, Thomas had seen him crucified. He would seen the death of Jesus. No man could survive through that. The dead don't walk again. Thomas He said shalom when he entered the room. He said peace. Man, you, you missed it, Thomas. And Thomas, having seen Jesus crucified, so adamant about the death of his Savior, says, Unless I see, unless I touch the nail prints, the scars in his hand and his feet and his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, week passes. They're in the upper room again. Jesus reappears. He looks at Thomas because he knows all things. Says, "Thomas, come touch the hands. Come touch the feet. Come feel the side." I am the crucified Jesus, now raised. From the dead. Of course, Jesus could have chosen any type of body to have this glorious resurrected body. But isn't it interesting that even in his resurrection, that Jesus bears the scars of the worst evil that ever happened in all the history of humanity? There is no more evil than creation crucifying creator. The sinless one becoming. The bearer of our sins, glorified body, just appears in the room. Come touch, come touch, but it doesn't stop there. In Revelation chapter five. The heavenly hosts are gathered around the throne. They need someone to open up the scroll, and they're weeping because no one is worthy to open up the scroll. And all of a sudden, a lamb approaches to open the scroll, and they begin to shout, you are worthy, you are worthy, God's Demands and plans cannot proceed for all of the cosmos until the scroll is opened. And no one bears the right to open the scroll. And then the heavenly creatures say, there was one who looked like a lamb. What's the description? That was slain. Even in heaven, when we worship him, the scars are still there. The lamb who appears to have been slain is worshipped. Oh, we all have had a touch of evil through our own making, the making of others. We all have all sorts of physical and emotional scars, and we want to get rid of all those scars, and yet... The mystery of the gospel is, whether it's Joseph or Jesus or you, that God uses those scars in our life, though he didn't cause them, for his glory. How are you different because of those scars? Who can you now help? That you wouldn't otherwise Have understood Thomas Torn flesh right there That won't do it for you Like a hospital patient Come see the side Scars Joseph Jesus and you and me. Scars from evil, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let us pray. Oh God, there's so much hurt in a room this size. We've all tried to cover our scars this morning with our sleeves and our makeup. We've hoped no one would notice the lamp. Yet this morning we realize that our own Savior was scarred. And in the evil scarring he experienced, we have our redemption. May we all be able to join Joseph this morning and say, you meant it for evil, whoever did this to me. But God will use it for good. Not his doing but his redeeming. And in his name we pray. Amen.